The Crude Life with Jason Speed. Welcome to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us this week here at the Crude Life Week in Review, a place where we take all the week's best interviews, package them together in nice interview format for you to listen here on the radio or even on a podcast a little bit later on. But this week, fantastic program in store for you. Brandon Davis, the CEO of Swan Energy, joins us along with Imran Khan and Jeremy Pate as We live the crude life down in Houston, Texas. Recorded the session Mining Money at the restaurant Cowboys and Indians. It's an Indian-themed restaurant in Texas, so they've got burgers and steaks and uh, tikka masala and naan and actually some of the best curry I've had in the United States down there at Cowboys and Indians in Houston, Texas. So if you've got chicken wings they have on menu as well, so it's very unique place, authentic food, and we have a great interview lined up for you with the guys from Swan Energy and Mining Money coming up in just a moment or two. Also on today's program, Jason Gennaro with Breakwater Energy Partners. They've opened up a large produced water recycling facility down in the Permian. It's an 80-acre facility. They're hoping that they can replicate this across Shale Play USA. So, Coming up a little later in the program, Jason Gennaro with Breakwater Energy Partners and Tiffany Wilson with Aries Building. We get a Texas-sized boots-on-the-ground update. She's been down in the Permian and the Panhandle over in the Haynesville. She's been all over down south, and she's making her way up to Watford City next month because business has been picking up, and Tiffany Wilson with Aries Building is going to be talking about going across Shale Play USA, where she's seeing activity, where she's not seeing activity. Looks like the Permian, the Bakken, a little bit in the Eagleford, up into Oklahoma and into New Mexico. They're finding work. They're finding activity. So it is happening out there, folks. you got to find the little pockets of positivity out there across Shale Play USA. The Bakken, the Permian seem to be leading the conversations as we take a look going into 2021. All right, folks. All right, folks, let's go right over to Mining Money, get the show started here. We have Jeremy Pate, we have Imran Khan, and the CEO of Swan Energy, Brandon Davis, here with our weekly segment, Mining Money, here on the Crude Life Week in Review. Time now for Mining Money. Well, actually, the one thing about North Dakota that is very unique, like Montana doesn't have this, uh, they've started it, but... Back in the 50s, they started this library called the Laird Library. It's named after, I think, the, the guy who, who uh, it was uh, his idea. And it's up at our university. And they have every core sample from, like, the 50s recorded. That's how they knew where everything was. I'm not sure what Texas's core sample library at the state is like or whatever. But I know Montana's, they've started to. But Montana's a big state, much like Texas. So 
it's difficult. It's, you know, much like uh, we were talking about some abandoned wells earlier. You know, you get out to Ohio and Pennsylvania, there's wells that are abandoned. Nobody even knows about still to this day. Drones are finding them because life used to still happen before we had cell phones recording everything. People did things, you know. So, um, Imran, is that petroleum geologist, your background? Do you know much about how much advanced notice somebody has before they drill do you know what i mean like like i said north dakota they know where everything is well, i think that's you, you brought up a good point right there when you talked about ohio and pennsylvania these are one of the earlier areas that you know wildcatting was done to be able to do work and and drill right i think nowadays with everything being so far explored uh compared to what it was back in whatever early 1900s whatever you want to call it it was a different time so i think wildcatting was more done because of those reasons now with the technologies that are out there i mean you know we were in a meeting this morning with the sales guys and we were talking about how technologies improved from you know 2018 to 2020 um, it's like iPhones, right? It's like, you know, you have an iPhone from 10 years ago compared to today. It's like a whole nother story. And that's kind of like technology that's going on right now that helps you to be able to figure out what's in the ground beforehand from a geology standpoint and, uh, and, and the development standpoint. So. By the way, when it comes to big data, I like to just point this out that there's a lot of changes that are happening with big data. And the integration into the oil patch is, is happening so fast and it's in every department. So when, when CEOs and, and chairmen of the board come out and say paradigm shift in oil and gas, they mean it because they're going to get sued if they don't mean it. I mean, that's a, they can't be chucking jivers is what I'm saying. A lot of people are listening. It, uh, and so when you think of HR, for example, think about the roughneck that would start in Alaska and he'd go all the way down to you know Alabama and he would be doing the outlaws the whole way. But nobody can do background checks. Well, now HR knows your background before you even come to the meeting. So big data has changed HR. In the world of marketing and media and everything, now we've got, uh, hey, Tom, you want to grab the dog real quick? And in HR now, <laughs> in marketing, we've got, you know, we've got Facebook and we've got LinkedIn and we've got all kinds of different ways to micro-niche. You can get a left-handed soccer player in the middle of the night marketed to if you want to. So that's changed everything. And so it's just interesting on the petroleum geology side how much it's changed with the science and with the fracking and the innovation and things. So um, it's a very long-winded question. What I'm getting at, though, is that big data has changed every single area of oil and gas. And I'm going to get to the financing side in just a second and the investing side. But from the petroleum side, how has it changed? So, so I think one of the, so my background is chemical engineering and I actually worked, um, uh, one of my first jobs out of college, I actually drilled water wells uh, for salt. So we, we explored salt domes and pulled out brine and basically processed it in a plant and, and, and made salt out of it. Um, the process is exactly the same from a drilling standpoint in oil and gas. Uh, one of the big things when I, when I came into oil and gas, a lot of the different data points to your to your exact point uh, wasn't really it wasn't looked at. Um, you know, we would be doing so much different work around maintenance and reliability, uh, around equipment, and you know, a lot of different data points that you'd be able to collect weren't collected in oil and gas. When I, you know, I started in, in a midstream area for one of the majors, and you know, I was I talked with different folks at at different uh, terminal stations and 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 uh, pumping stations. They had no clue, and this is you know, 10, 15 years ago, but within the last 
10, 15 years, I mean, like we implemented a lot of these different types of details and have been gathering a lot of that data. And I think now, 10, 15 years later, you've got that data built on the different types of equipment, you know, to your point, geology, things of that nature. And that's really helped us evolve. And part of the reason why is because of the way that the cyclical nature of oil and gas has been in the last 15, 20 years, right? You've got high up points where your oil was $100, $120. You know, no one cares about all these little, little details around those times. But then when you go down to $25, it's a big change, right? Paradigm shift is what you said earlier, and that's exactly what it is. So now you're looking at, you know, making a product that doesn't have the same margins as it did, you know, when it was $120. So based on that, everything's kind of gone through, and now data has really become a big part of what, what you have to do. Even within our offices, we've been working on getting a lot of the title documents, things like that, into systems, and these systems are just, you know, coming together with you know, one company buying another company and you're getting conglomerate type of setups and that's allowing us to be able to, you know, bring data into one repository. And that really helps a lot to be able to do what we need to do. And that's why I wanted to preface before we brought in uh, Brandon and Jeremy into this. And Imran, have you hand the mic over to Brandon, thank you. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the big data change because nobody's really talked about the big data from the investing side. And I think about an example of when I invested over a quarter million dollars in the internet when I had a small publication and we did not get $5 back. I'm not kidding you. But you had to go on the internet, right? And we are sitting across the table from these guys and they're telling us up and down, we ain't ever gonna need a website. So we're like, how can you not see the future? And the more I think about it now, and actually it was the present, those guys are out of business now, by the way. Um, <laughs> from Brandon, either from the CEO side, the big picture side, Jeremy from you know the sales and marketing and business development to the guy who's disseminating that polished, finalized information out there. That has got to be a real frustrating time right now for people because we are actually entering in a time where oil and gas is going to be needed more than ever. I don't care if it's the PPE angle or it's the renewable energy angle, which needs petroleum products to, to go about. Guys, let's talk a little bit about that barrier to the mental entry a little bit, as big data has really helped you on the investing communication side. I hope someday I can see into the future. That, that, that would be great. Um, Climate scientists can. Oh, oh they sorry. Think, or uh, Elon Musk, one or the other. I, I've... Uh, you know, as as a business owner like you, you, you're often in situations where you're presented with information as absolute, mm -hmm. which nothing is. Uh, but but w it comes that way a lot, and you have to make a decision on what you believe or you don't believe, or what you think is going to happen. And you know, I think that there's a huge element of luck involved. To listen to the full length interview with Brandon Davis. Imran Khan and Jeremy Pate of Swan Energy, or to check out other weekly segments, Mining Money, here at The Crude Life, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, Jason Gennaro with Breakwater Energy Partners talking about produced recycled water. My name is Jason Spies. This is The Crude Life Week in Review.
Here we go. Hamburger steaks, holiday ends. That's the kind of world that I live in. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Jason Gennaro with Breakwater Energy Partners. This is uh, Jason Gennaro from Breakwater Energy Partners. I'm uh, the Chief Executive Officer. Breakwater, talk to me a little bit about what you do and how you're related in the oil company before we get into the big news, sir. Sure, absolutely. We'd be happy to do it. So, uh, Breakwater, we're... uh, we're probably the, the largest private water transfer and recycling uh, company. We're, we're focused on, on Texas and, uh, and New Mexico, so the Eagleford and the, uh, the Permian Basin. So we do a lot in the water movement space, but we, we also do a lot in recycling. And we've done that since 2012, and we've been fortunate enough to, to kind of grow and, and recycle for a lot of customers on both sides of the, of the basin. And, and really refine that and, and, and think about things a little differently, which led us to this most recent announcement. And that's why we're here today, uh, responding to the press release put out about your recent, is it, would it be called a new recycling facility, a new water recycling facility? What is the official terminology? And let's get into some of the meat and potatoes, some of the nuts and bolts about uh, this amazing innovation that's coming into the Permian Basin. Sure. It's a produced water recycling facility. It recycles produced water from the oil and gas um, space, really from the Permian Basin. And it was it, we really built it because we, we were recycling a lot for our customers, you know, on a kind of a small scale and individual level, uh, which is pretty common now across the industry. But we weren't able to really help them aggregate a lot of water. And so when you when you kind of take a step back, you know, the Permian Basin is obviously a very important basin for the oil and gas industry. It's now the largest basin in, uh, in the world. It's larger than, than the ones that you find now in Saudi Arabia. But the thing that folks don't talk about as much is how much of a water producer it is. And, you know, for, you know, for every barrel of, of oil that's produced in the Permian Basin, it produces two to three barrels of water. So when you think about it, the logistic exercise in the Permian Basin is is less of an oil logistic exercise and more of a water logistic exercise. And so when these when these wells are completed, they actually consume more than a barrel of water effectively for every barrel they produce, and then they produce two to three. The problem that you have is how to how to really marry the supply and demand, uh, because the reality is a lot of a lot of operators. You know, our producers, you know, it, you know, at certain moments and then consumers of water at other moments. And so it was really difficult for them individually to meet their own water requirements with their own produced water. Um, and, and they could do it partially, but they, they oftentimes couldn't do it completely at, on a project by project level. And so as we saw this, we, you know, we took a step back and said, you know what, what really needs to be done is we need to build a really big commercial produced water recycle facility that aggregates water from a number of different operators all concurrently, all at the same time, and, and basically acts as an air traffic controller moving water you know, from the folks who don't need it, who are just going to waste it and put it down a saltwater disposal, 
uh, recycle it, store it, change its form into something that is productive, and then move it, you know, including the last mile to the folks that actually need it. So really serve as that nexus point to serve as that, that kind of honest broker or good steward to, um, to, to basically take that water and move it to the folks that actually need it, you know, away from the folks that are, that are looking to dispose of it um, in, in kind of a good stewardship sort of way. That's interesting. So it's, first of all, it's stationary. It's not, you know, it's not one, it's not a mobile type of a thing or temporary. This is, this is something that is intended to have people come to you. And, and like you said, air traffic controller, I was envisioning trucks coming in, you know, like an artery system and, and dumping their water into a big pool. That's <laughs> what I was visioning. So uh, how close am I to that being the reality of what it is? It, it actually, you know, we don't handle 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 trucks, although we, we can. There are certainly a lot of trucks that move a lot of water across the basin. Um, but it, what, what we do, you know, a lot of these operators have their own produced water systems the, that, that really serve themselves. And... Um, and they, they operate independently, um, but they don't tend to interact as much with, with their neighbors. So you might have two separate operators who have their own, you know, oper- you know their own acreage, and actually, so there are two or three or four, but they all might statistically balance their own water, meaning they, you know, they move water throughout their system, which means that they can't use their, much of their water at many moments in time. But if you look at all of their schedules together, um, there's that opportunity. And so that's why we, we invested the effort in actually building this permanent facility, uh, building the storage capability, building the treatment capability um, so that we can kind of form that nexus point where water comes in so that we can move the water away from the folks who were looking to dispose of it to the folks that actually needed it uh, to complete their, um, their operations. What size are we talking? So this is this one's the biggest in the Permian Basin. It is 250,000 barrels per day. So that's our that's our capacity, and it lets us recycle a lot of water. Even in, even in third quarter, which was not a stellar time for the Permian Basin, we recycled five million barrels in the third quarter alone. How about geography wise? How much space do you, is this going to take up? So we, we so we've we've built it you know pretty large. Uh, so it, it it's an 80 acre site. Nice. So it's, uh, it's, it's sizable. We have, uh, you know, we have, um, you know, obviously recycling operations there. We have buffer storage. And then we've built commercial treated water pits as well. And, um, and those pits are, are there to store our recycled water um, so that we can aggregate it for customers who need it and then move it at scale to those customers who are completing their wells uh, when they need it. Um, so that they can actually get enough recycled water to com- to complete these wells with 100%, up to 100% recycled water, which is not common at all. I mean, it's it's not common to be able to to access that much water when you need it. Because the reality is, uh, you know, the way things are done right now in uh, in the Permian Basin is the, the the consumption of water when it's it's needed is very very substantial. So, for example, right, you know, right now we're working with a customer who's doing, you know, a, a completion that's requiring 100,000 barrels per day uh, over, over a period of time. And that's just a lot of water. It's, it's very difficult to, to accumulate and aggregate 
that much recycled water instantaneously, especially without storage. Um, and that's part of what we do is we form that nexus point so that we can aggregate a lot of water from a number of different operators. We can store it. We can prepare for that. So that lets us be able to be of service and help customers uh, save money by using a lot of recycled water. I have a dumb question, but uh, what, what do you do with the recycled water when it's done? done? Well, we store it. Um, so the recycled water is stored um, in, in recycled water pits, and we wait for folks to, to have a completion. And when they, have a compl- when, when they have a completion, we work with them to store enough water for them and uh, combine with their ability to kind of refresh, you know, refresh the pits. And then, and then we help them move last miles to, to actually become consumers of the water. So we have the we have productive use for it. We're basically using this industrial water. Mr. Jason Gennaro, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Jason Gennaro with Breakwater Energy Partners. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. Exactly who I've always been. The same old guy staying drunk till I die all and jamming for all my friends. That's you, Jason. When it comes to making money, they say buy low and sell high. That's what they say. Well, right now is a great time to invest in the oil and gas industry. Almost anyone can invest in the oil and gas industry, and Swan Energy wants to help you out. Their joint venture structure is constructed to protect you during all phases of the partnership process and investment. They offer a direct participation in oil and gas projects to partner approved investors. To find out more information about how you can invest in the oil and gas industry, contact Swan Energy today. Visit their website, swanenergyinc.com. That's swanenergyinc.com. Today is a great day to invest in oil and gas. The Crude Life with Jason Spies. The Salvation Army band played And the children drank lemonade And the morning lasted all day, all day Through the open window came Like Sinatra in a younger day Pushing the town away, away. Hey, oh, mama, my to the night. Hey, oh, mama, the hey, Life in a northern town. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Jason Gennaro with Breakwater Energy Partners. And uh, combined with their ability to kind of refresh, you know, refresh the pits. And then and then we help them move last miles to, to actually become consumers of the water. So we have the we have productive use for it. We're basically using this industrial water, um, which would just be disposed of, we're you know, we're, we're, we're upgrading it. Um, we're recycling it to, uh, you know, a much higher spec that will allow us to store it. And then we move it to, to those customers who require it so that they can use, you know, up to hundred percent recycled water for the completion of their wells. I would think that this would help satisfy a lot of companies, uh, missions and drives to be more environmentally conscious and, and green, if you will, does this technology and innovation, I guess, is it considered green or environmentally friendly? <laughs> It absolutely, it absolutely is. There's a, there's a big, there's a big movement now in really across all industries, but, but especially in the oil and gas industry, uh, revolving around environmental and and social governance. 
And um, so this kind of ESG, this green movement, it's really, you know, it's really investors saying, hey, you know, we, you know, profits are, are great. That's important. But we also need to be the best stewards of our resources and, and the best stewards really of our, of our companies um, and the people who are, we're kind of blessed enough to work with um, that we can be. And, um, and so a lot of, especially public companies, uh, are reporting, you know, how, how they perform, you know, on these ESG metrics. And, um, you know, things like, you know, methane emissions, things like water recycling are very important metrics towards that. The environment is an important metric. And, um, you know, and so, and so there are those things that are reported and, and those, those matter as it relates to institutional investors making making investments in um in companies like oil and gas companies and so that's that's part of it and and so that's you know that's part of what we help folks do is really kind of create more on ramps and off ramps to to water so that we can create more opportunities to recycle water and most importantly distribute that recycled water for beneficial use and that last mile like so many different industries is so important. If you don't have it, if you don't have that ability to distribute that last mile, you can't recycle very much because your pits will become full. And, you know, if there's nowhere for the water to go, you know, it has to go downhole. You must dispose of it because these wells produce so much water. So being able to create these mechanisms, these on-ramps and off-ramps to aggregate a lot of water and distribute a lot of water creates a lot of opportunity for, you know, for companies to, to recycle a lot of water. And then, it's, you know, candidly, it's something that they want to do anyway, because, you know, A, it's more cost effective, um, but B, you know, it's the right it's the right thing to do from an ESG perspective. It's rather interesting because a lot of times these interviews will go out on our, our radio platform. And so people listening, you know, they might not be so deep dived in on a lot of the day-to-day operations in oil and gas. So hearing about recycled water and the fact that the technology exists and the fact that, you know, this, this ESG environmental movement's going on, you know, somebody driving to soccer practice might look at their mom and dad and say, well, how's this not regulated or, you know, how's this not a law type of a thing? So, you know, hearing the technology and, and, and knowing what the company's drives are and just the whole culture of the way things are, what's your... You know, what's what's your biggest obstacle? Is it uh, cost? Is it education? Is it regulation? You know, I mean, because something like this, like I said, you know, to the average person would seem like it would be law to use recycled water or recycle water. So uh, what are you finding out there that are your biggest barriers to entry, I guess, is kind of the question. Does that, does that make sense without, I don't need to know your business model, but, you know, help some people out by helping us understand a little bit. You know, I think part of it, I think it's a great question. I think part of it, you know, is is awareness, and you know, honestly, part of it is is being able to create um, opportunities for for companies to, to to do it. Because, you know, when 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 operators are 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 operating, of course, they they want to, you know, they they they're kind of managing their own network, if they if you will, their own. Um, assets, their own um, land and mineral rights and that sort of thing. It's hard for them to think, you know, more holistically about, you know, all of those who surround them uh, as well. Um, and, and, and that's part of what was, was challenging in the past. And, and the reality is, you know, a lot of times operators are, are operating in areas where there, there may not be um, 
a lot of other operators. And so there, there is, you know, there is a more limited system, um, limited ways to, to kind of get things done and, and be efficient because the reality is, I mean, a lot of operators, when you look at them in a, in a vacuum, you know, you know, are consumers of water at certain moments and producers at other moments and, and oftentimes not both at the same time, unless you have a really, really big footprint. But if you look at it holistically amongst a number of folks in, in a number of areas where there are concentrations of, of operators who are all, you know, drilling and completing wells at the same time, when you look at that statistical water balancing, there is opportunity to be collaborative. There is opportunity to share. And that's why we call this collaborative recycling. And so part of it is, is really having kind of, you know, folks that are willing to make the investment and, and kind of and be trusted stewards of it. Like they're able to recycle water to a high standard. They're able to store it, um, build these facilities the right way. Um, they're, they're able to be reliable. Um, they're able to distribute, help folks distribute that water, you know, last mile, because there is, is that, that process to get it to the last mile, to get it to the ultimate completion job. Those are, those are things. And, you know, and, and the data is very significant too. We got 10 million data points that are generated already on this, on this one location, because we're, we're constantly managing water flows. And, um, and there's a lot that's, that's involved in it. So part of it, you know, really from our standpoint is, is kind of, um, you know, regionally educating um, and, and encouraging, you know, our partners, our customers, you know, to trust us and work with us as stewards and, uh, and find areas where, where these make sense. And that's, that's a big part of what we're doing. What services do you offer and how can people get in touch with you to utilize those services? For sure. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, you know, we, uh, we're easy to get a hold of, but, you know, breakwaterenergy.com. Uh, you can get a hold of anybody on our, our, our team. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's our, our services there on the website. We offer a lot, really total, total integrated solutions across the entire water supply chain. And, uh, we work with uh, our customers to, um, you know, to, to help them, you know, do what they need to do as far as, you know, completions, you know, especially in the Permian Basin. And that's what, that's what we work on. But but we try to do things, as you can tell, a little differently. To listen to the full-length interview with Jason Gennaro or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, Tiffany Wilson with Aries Buildings gives an update from Shale Play USA. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. I am washed by the water Even when the earth crumbles under my feet Even when the ones I love Turn around and crucify me I won't ever ever let you down I won't fall, I won't fall, I won't fall The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... When it comes to making money, they say buy low and sell high. That's what they say. Well, right now is a great time to invest in the oil and gas industry. Almost anyone can invest in the oil and gas industry, and Swan Energy wants to help you out. Their joint venture structure is constructed to protect you during all phases of the partnership process and investment. They offer a direct participation in oil and gas projects to partner approved investors. To find out more information about how you can invest in the oil and gas industry, contact Swan Energy today. Visit their website, Swan Energy Inc. 
swanenergyinc.com. That's swanenergyinc.com. Today is a great day to invest in oil and gas. The Crude Life with Jason Spears. Welcome back to The Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for joining us. Coming up next, Tiffany Wilson with Aries Buildings. So work's picked up here in the Permian Basin. Um, we've got crews going in. Um, definitely been a big challenge through 2020, but our lodges are, they are growing. And, and we just, we're super excited about it all. What kind of lodges do you have, by the way? I know a lot of them, you know, they, they, they've gotten pretty nice these days where they're nicer than a lot of apartments. Yeah, so absolutely. In Orla, we have the cabin style. Some of them we brought in from North Dakota a couple of years ago. Um, but you got your two-bedroom, two-bath, full kitchens. Um, you also have access to the lodge where you can get breakfast, lunch, dinner at any time. Um, great chefs. Uh, full benefit. I mean, I personally stay in them quite a bit instead of hotels because you've got your own space you've got your chefs I mean it's just it's anytime you're going through if it's an open lodge and not stricted off to one company I recommend you just try it um, to get the experience I mean if you're working out in the oil and gas industry try staying in a lodge and see what it's like see what it's like for Everyone that comes in, you've got your day workers, your night workers. I mean, it's a whole different environment. Um, it's probably one of the coolest experiences you'll ever you'll ever get to see. Do you have uh, a certain, I guess, limits when it comes to size in terms of quantity of people, I guess would probably be the f- phrase. I'm thinking, you know, small companies, one, two people versus, you know, your, your big Halliburtons, if you will, that have no problem renting, you know, a thousand, you know, beds or something like that. How, do you guys have a certain limit on number of beds you have to rent for a certain amount of days? How does that work? So each lodge has a certain amount of beds, of course. Um, if they aren't contracted out to a company, we do open those up as a hotel style. And uh, they're open to anyone because so many companies have gone to per diem over the last few years. You know, it changed from corporate pay to per diem. So uh, anybody working in the lodging industry had to understand the whole concept where they took the administrative side into the person's own hands and pretty much into our own hands to where it's per diem and we have to put them in. So. Um, whether you're out there working or anything like that, it's it's open lodging to from one night to one year. There's no certain contract if you have a per diem or if you're coming in for a night, don't want to stay in a hotel. Um, if there's room and you're not, we're not fully at full capacity. You're more than welcome to book a reservation. Okay, I was curious about that. And by the way, it, do, do how do people do that? Do you guys? just call you or is there a website or just talk to me yeah, a little absolutely. bit how people, I mean, I, you know, Travelocity, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so you can go to AriesResidenceSuites.com um, or you can always call me. I mean, my phone's 24 hours a day. Most people know that. I'll pick up the phone and make sure anybody has a reservation, you know, if they need somewhere to go, my phone's always on. So, um, but yeah, AriesResidenceSuites.com. You can go in there, make a reservation. It'll be sent right over to my phone, and I'll get you set up. Tiffany Wilson, Aries Buildings on the line with us. As you know, we have many stations out in the Bakken who 
uh, radio stations who air this program, and you're going to be out in the Bakken the week of November 9th. Uh, talk to me about the activity that you guys have going on in the Bakken and what your, uh, you know, what, what, what are you doing out there? What kind of expectations and sales and just, you know, talk to us about your trip out to North Dakota. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Um, we're going into Watford City. We have a great lodge there. Um, I'd like for anybody while I'm there, if they want to come by and tour it, um, I'd love to meet anybody there. It's a new spot for me. You know, I'm basically in the Permian. Um, I'd love for anyone to see it. We've got a 400-bed lodge there. It's been picking up like crazy, and we're super happy about that. And I'm making my way November 9th. And I would love to connect with anybody in the Watford City, North Dakota, North Dakota area or anyone outside of that, I'd like to um, like to make some footprints there. Did you just say the phrase making my way? Making my way. <laughs> I, I just started singing that. And like after you said that, making my way. So I, I didn't know people said that as a phrase. So. <laughs> I'm always making my way somewhere. That was like the first time I were I heard quarter of. I just looked at it like, what did you say? Like just you know these little, just changes of you know not used to phrasing that way. So anyway, so you're gonna be going to go ahead. I have my own little terms I say, but you know it's um, it's unstoppable for me, and I'm making my way. <laughs> that was just brilliant. All right, so. Where else Aries building? Say, we got a Goldsmith uh, update. We got a Watford City update. Uh, do you guys, Oklahoma, did it, didn't I see that uh, you have locations in Oklahoma and some other places? Uh, g- give me a round the horn update. Absolutely. So I was in Oklahoma last week. We have a lodge there. It's a smaller lodge, but it sure is nice. Um, it's right outside of Chickasha, Oklahoma. If you're in that area, let me know. I'll get you set up. Um, we've got some down in South Texas. I'll be out there in two weeks right before I leave to North Dakota. Um, those are, we've got four lodges down there, uh, Carn City, Three Rivers, Asherton, Tilden. Um, bringing this thing back, I mean, I know everybody's a little, don't really know what to think about election. I don't want to get pol- into politics here, but um Things are looking up, and we're ready to get these lodges rocking and rolling again. I mean, things are picking up, and um, I'll be all over and ready to um, meet anybody I can and um, start making making my way. <laughs> I actually, when it comes to oil and gas industry, I think that the election is um, probably a little bit more to do than than the, or not as much to do as what people make it out to be because 93 to 96% of what we use on a daily basis needs petroleum products right now. And, you know, wh- whether it's the toothpaste we use to the toothbrush that brushes the teeth to the lights and the vanity mirror to the gas that gets us the, the products to our house, that's, that's a petroleum-based society. And, it's not realistic to do the crash course, you know, even down to an 80% over the next 10 years. That's just, I, this is not possible. And so um, I, I think a lot of the election is, is based on how, how much of the uh, environmental screws are going to be tied in, if that makes sense, be tightened a little bit. I think they're, 
there, there might be some of that based on it. But I think for the most part, you know, once the election is done, you're going to see the industry pick up regardless. I, I really Absolutely. believe that. You know, I don't know what you're hearing out there, but that's what I've been hearing. I think the worst is over. I mean, anybody, I know that it's been a tough year for everybody, but I think we're on the upside of it. And I've seen the numbers pick up in our lodges. So that's a for sure sign that things are looking up. When I, when I see the numbers rise, that's when I know things are looking up and they sure have been climbing the past month. And that's, that's been a big deal. To listen to the full-length interview with Tiffany Wilson with Aries Buildings or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it this week for The Crude Life Week in Review. I'd like to thank you folks for joining us as well as Jason Gennaro from Breakwater Energy Partners, Imran Khan, Jeremy Pate, and Brandon Davis of Swan Energy, and, of course, Tiffany Wilson with Aries Building. Thank you very much for joining us this week here at The Crude Life Week in Review. You can check out those interviews and other exclusive interviews and content, which is available at thecrudelife.com. We'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Sponsored in part by... When it comes to making money, they say buy low and sell high. That's what they say. Well, right now is a great time to invest in the oil and gas industry. Almost anyone can invest in the oil and gas industry, and Swan Energy wants to help you out. Their joint venture structure is constructed to protect you during all phases 
of the partnership process and investment. They offer a direct participation in oil and gas projects to partner approved investors. To find out more information about how you can invest in the oil and gas industry, contact Swan Energy today. Visit their website, swanenergyinc.com. That's swanenergyinc.com. Today is a great day to invest in oil and gas.